You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. Whether it's Monday morning, Friday afternoon, or perhaps a little midweek treat, we want to thank you for hanging out with us on Commute the Podcast. I'm Dave, and he's Jay, and your next 15 minutes, I'll tell you what, they are spoken for. On the front end, I want to go ahead and put this ask out there to you. Please, please, please rate, subscribe, and review Commute the Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It would mean a ton to us. On this episode, a documentary about tickling. It's been said that a good monster is worth a million dollars, but what about $49 million? And how did a clown come to represent America's favorite fast food restaurant? All of that on this episode of Commute. Let's get to it. So Jay, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you're not much of a tickler. Either you don't like to be tickled and you don't really dish out much tickling. Uh, you're right on both accounts. <laughs> I, I generally just don't really like to be touched. So tickling is just an aggressive form of that. So no, I, I don't. I, I have no interest in that. Yeah, I dare to say watching you tickle somebody would be quite painful. Well, as I've previously mentioned on this podcast, and you know this about me, I'm a major fan of documentaries. A good documentary can challenge you, educate you, and entertain you in a way that few other things can. But one documentary stands alone in my mind as perhaps the strangest experience of my life, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, A friend of mine recommended this documentary to me a few years ago, and it's called Tickled. It was created by a famous New Zealand television reporter named David Ferrier, and and. Jay, I know that you're also a fan of the podcast Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. Yes. And Dax actually has a segment now, and I think he does it, is it weekly or bi-weekly, with David Ferrier? I don't think it's weekly, but yeah, it's called called Armchaired and Dangerous, and they talk about conspiracy theories. Yeah, and just a brilliant journalist. Okay, so so David Ferrier created this documentary, Tickled, came out in 2016. So Tickled begins in a kind of bizarre yet seemingly harmless way. Farrier gets a tip about an online world of competitive endurance tickling. So, Jay, basically that's guys tickling each other to see who can last the longest without totally losing their minds laughing. I'll admit, at this point, I questioned, do I really want to watch this? <laughs> so, so this is probably within the first 20 minutes you find out this is what the documentary is about. And I, I, I really I paused it and I thought, I, I might be out. But I hung in there, and I'm glad that I did. Ferrier does some light research at first and requests an interview with the company that sponsors this sport, Jane O'Brien Media, only to get an offensive and abusive response from Jane O'Brien Media, telling him to take a hike in a very R-rated way. This makes Ferrier decide, okay, I got I got to figure this out. I'm going down this rabbit trail to find out the scoop on endurance tickling. So you can probably already guess endurance tickling is not an actual thing. Jane O'Brien Media is basically a shell company that was created to cover up a dark world of manipulation and abuse. Ferrier's work basically ties the fake company to one man, the now deceased David D'Amato, who finances this weird fantasy fetish world of his through family money that seems to have found its way to him. 
This company would basically contact former male models and former athletes and offer them insane amounts of money to participate in these endurance tickling videos. Obviously, being tickled in a creepy way like this is very embarrassing, so the tickle participants eventually would want out of it, only to find that they were going to be blackmailed by the company if they decided to leave. So they had to either keep producing these weird tickle videos or risk having videos leaked to their friends and families of them being tickled for money. So fast forward to the end of all this craziness. Jane O'Brien Media and Yamato have been exposed in a pretty dramatic way by Furrier. And Furrier even finds the, the guy's house and approaches him. He approaches the guy that's behind Jane O'Brien Media. Yamato denies everything until his death in 2017. But Jay, what this documentary really leaves me with, besides a, a, a need to go take a shower, is the cruel and complicated relationship that human beings have with power. Yeah, there was a, a couple of takeaways I had from this documentary. Um, the first one was that I was just like super freaked out at the beginning <laughs> because the way that they edit it together at the beginning, you're just like, I, like what you said, you're just like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> like, this is weird and it makes me feel like gross. As it started to go on and you started to kind of get a look at D'Amato and realize that like this is all he had time for but he was sitting on so much money that this it was possible for him to be able to do this you know it wasn't the tickling and it wasn't the eroticism of it like that wasn't what he was after like he was after the power of being able to hold these videos over top of these guys heads and make them sweat about it that's what he was chasing So when it comes to urban legends, I think we've all been in a situation where we've become maybe a little bit obsessed with one from time to time. Yeah, and a spoiler alert, you're, you're about to talk about the Loch Ness Monster. You're making me air this on the podcast. I yeah, used to be a you need to You need to own up is, to it in public. Cleansing. I used to be a little obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster. When I was in sixth or seventh grade, I would come home every day from school and watch a live stream of Loch Ness for 30 to 45 minutes. I did this for maybe six months thinking that I would be the one <laughs> to spot the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> I'm just curious what your end game was if you saw the Loch Ness Monster. Like, who would you call? You know, would you call 911? 911. Like, post about it on the internet. I, I think I need the police. <laughs> Well, the Loch Ness Monster, I mean, you aren't the only Nessie fanboy in the world. Uh, currently, 14% of people in Britain believe in the Loch Ness Monster, and 24% of people in Scotland believe in the Loch Ness Monster. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a couple reasons why I think even that is too high. Loch Ness Monster has been seen four times already this year in 2021. There were 13 confirmed sightings last year of the Loch Ness Monster, including a photo that made its way onto Twitter in June, which became a trending topic, which uh, appeared to show some sort of creature in the water, you know, caused a lot of controversy because the guy who posted the photo apparently works in CGI for a living and it looks kind of fake anyway. You can't actually just uh, post online that you saw the Loch Ness Monster and it become a confirmed sighting. There's actually a website called LochNessSightings.com. That's the official uh, Loch Ness Sightings website. They have 1,133 
three sightings to date, and you have to confirm your sighting with them to make it an official sighting. So they're the authority. They are the gatekeepers of the Loch Ness Monster, yes. The earliest time that the Loch Ness Monster, something resembling it, was ever mentioned, we actually have to go all the way back to the 6th century. Uh, (laughs) So you didn't expect that, did you? No, I thought you were going to say maybe 19. So an, yeah. an Irish monk named St. Columbia, after some sort of event in the River Loch Ness, banished a quote-unquote river beast to uh, the River Ness uh, in the 6th century. And, well, in 1934, we've all seen the photograph. You know the one I'm talking about, the black and white one, which uh, is kind of the authority photo on the Loch Ness Monster. That photo appeared on the scene in 1934. It was taken by a guy guy who claims to have pulled over while he was driving. He was a surgeon, so it was labeled the surgeon's photograph, and it made its way around the world and kind of made the Loch Ness Monster popular. It was kind of like a localized thing for a while, and then it sort of blew up into the world uh, in 1934. Now, since then, that photograph has been proven to be a hoax. Uh, The guy who took it even has revealed how he faked it. Uh, It was with a toy and some camera angles and things like that. So since then, there have been multiple, I'm talking like hundreds of expeditions to find the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, And in 2018, and this is the one that just sort of like drives home to me how ridiculous it is that we're still trying to find the Loch Ness Monster. In 2018, there was a a DNA survey done of Loch Ness. So I had never heard of this before, and I didn't even know that you could do this. But basically what a DNA survey is, is you can take a sample of the water in the lake, and then you can basically extract remnants of DNA from that sample, and you you can pretty much prove what species exist in the lake. So scientists did this with Loch Ness and found, you know, hey, it's full of eels, it's full of fish, that's pretty much it. There was no other DNA, no big reptiles, no anything like that. So really the Loch Ness Monster exists as a sociological phenomenon. There's been no proof that the Loch Ness Monster exists. There's been no videos or photographic evidence that can be confirmed, you know, despite sitting in front of a a live stream 30 to 45 minutes a day uh, during their formative years. 2018 research has shown that the Loch Ness Monster adds 41 million euros to the Scottish economy every year. That amounts to about 49 million US dollars. So why do people still believe? Because when you go online and you look at people, you know, you look into communities of people who believe in the Loch Ness Monster. These communities are extensive and they are so passionate. These are true believers. So psychologists have a term for this. They call it expectant attention. This is when you want to see something. You go into an event wanting to see a particular thing, so you're more likely to misinterpret visual cues. And then I know we've all heard the term cognitive dissonance, but cognitive dissonance dissonance is that idea that when our beliefs are challenged by information, that's uncomfortable for us. And what we have to do is we either have to accept the information and change our belief to mold to the information, or we have to reject the information to preserve the belief. You can't tell me. You and I go to Scotland. I push you in Loch Ness. You don't freak out. Uh, I'm not going to try to pretend like I wouldn't. 
So, Jay, I know you worked at Burger King in high school, but are you a McDonald's fan? Okay, well, I know where this is already going, so I'm just going to save you the trouble. I know that you're trying to insert an opportunity to tell our audience that you were in the documentary Super Size Me. It's actually perfect, though, that we talk about Super Size Me because it's a great segue into what we're going to talk about in our third segment, America's favorite lovable yet creepy clown, Ronald <laughs> McDonald. In Super Size Me, elementary school kids are asked, can they recognize who this is? And they hold up a picture of Ronald McDonald. Every single elementary school kid knows that's Ronald McDonald. They then hold up a picture of Jesus. A lot of the kids <laughs> think it's George W. Bush. On, honest mistake. The popularity of Ronald McDonald goes very deep. Ronald McDonald's story begins in the 1960s and is rumored to have been the brainchild of famed weatherman Willard Scott, who previously dressed in ridiculous attire to become the infamous Bozo the Clown, which in itself was a strange children's television show. He was asked to help with a local McDonald's location, acting as kind of a mascot. Well, after the Bozo Show went size 18 shoes up, McDonald's approached Willard with the idea of creating a new clown character just for the chain. So this would be for the national brand of McDonald's, not just one local store. Now, the original version of Ronald J., if you've ever seen it, is truly an image from your worst nightmare. He was basically half clown, half trash, with an empty paper (laughs) cup as a nose, a food tray as a hat, and a magic belt that produced never-ending hamburgers. I've seen him, and I haven't stopped seeing him ever since in my nightmares. The madness with this version of Ronald continued for three national television commercials, which included Ronald convincing a young boy to hang out with him, even though the boy's mom said to avoid strangers, and Ronald taking a fast-food frenzied trip to the moon by clutching the side of a rocket ship. McDonald's eventually realized that this version of Ronald was borderline criminal, and they actually replaced Willard as Ronald with a circus performer, noting that the decision was made in part due to Willard's weight. I guess they wanted Ronald to have an incredible metabolism for all the fast food he was constantly shoving down his throat. (laughs) Well, since those early days of Willard, many people have played the role of Ronnie McDonnie. In fact, some of the clown actors have actually figured out a way to avoid the famed McDonald's Ronald McDonald non-disclosure agreement. You're going to love this. And they've discussed the strict rules that came with wearing the famed red wig. Here's some highlights for you. Joffrey Giolano, who was always at odds with management because of his uneasiness in telling children that the burgers from McDonald's came from a magical hamburger patch and not from cows. (laughs) And then an unnamed Ronald McDonald actor from Michigan that narrowly avoided a night in jail after refusing to tell local police his real name after a fender bender following an appearance as Ronald, fearing he would break the strict no-no policy for revealing your true identity while in costume. Uh, I want like uh, I just want a video of it so bad. In fact, Jay McDonald's is so secretive, okay, about who's behind the makeup that the official stance from the company has historically been that Ronald is just one real clown. You'll never see two Ronalds together in the same place. So if you're wondering why maybe you haven't seen Ronald at all in a while, well, the fun has potentially come to an end. In 2010, a poll about corporate accountability found that nearly half of this country, 
felt it was time to retire Ronald, fearing the clown made eating fast food look like it was just too much darn fun. I'm really, I need to get my hands on one of these NDAs because I have so many questions. And the first question that comes to mind is, do you think there's some sort of an exercise slash fitness requirement in the NDA? I mean, you got to think that they're going to ask him to go to the gym. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commute. Don't forget, please rate, subscribe, and review the show and share it with somebody that you think might enjoy what we're doing. Music for Commute is provided by Jason Sammons. And for Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.